Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So when I was a child, uh, my family did not have cable. Uh, in fact, to my knowledge, we, we never had cable. It wasn't when I was just, just when I was a little kid. We never did. And so whenever I went over to a friend's house, of course, the first thing I wanted to do was connect myself straight into that coax cable. I wanted to get some of that sweet, sweet cable goodness, right? And it's like, you know, if a kid is never allowed to have soda, and then he goes to his friend's house and has soda for the first time, his eyes get real big, and, you know, the rest of his life is just this long mission to get soda, to get soda, to get soda. Well, I was sort of that way with cable television. And so I remember um, a long time ago, before it was a reality TV network, um, MTV actually used to be a music television network. Um, it would, they would play uh, videos that corresponded to songs, um, and everybody would watch them. It was sort of like a radio for your eyes and your ears. And so, of course, uh, being a kid, I loved music, uh, and I loved MTV. And, and the problem with MTV uh, that we have now gotten around with things like YouTube is that you sort of were at the mercy of whatever they wanted to play for you. And I vividly remember being somewhere between eight and 10 years old and always going to my friend's house and wanting to, wanting to hear the Green Day songs, wanting to hear the songs like that. And yet what kept playing over and over, I felt like I couldn't get away from it, uh, was a song by a 70s rock star who was trying to make his way back into the limelight by singing this power ballad. His name was Meatloaf. <laughs> and in the 90s, he made his comeback with a song called, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And this song is, it is a, it is five minutes and it feels like 25 minutes, especially when you're eight years old, especially when you're waiting for the song that you want to hear to come on TV. It was just, it just felt like forever. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Like most of us, I sort of always wondered, what, what was it that he wouldn't do? Did he ever, did he ever spell that out? It was funny. I was wondering that this week. So I, I Googled the lyrics to I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Um, and they're incredibly long. Um, I got to be honest. I started skimming about three quarters of the way through. Um, but I'm pretty sure he never says what he wouldn't do. Uh, he doesn't lay it out. Uh, so it's, it's, it's left up to be a mystery. So I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning that is somewhat akin to that question. What would Meatloaf not do? But what I want to ask you is this. What is it in your life that you hold most dear? What is the thing that you love the most? As you sort of fill that box in your mind, whether it's a person or something else, an idea, as you sort of fill that in with your mind, 
the thing about it is, the thing that you're thinking of right now is probably not the true answer. You see, whenever you're asked that question, what do you love the most? Our, our minds fill it with what we think we should love the most. Our minds answer that question which, with what we want to be the correct answer to that question. But usually, that's not the true answer to that question. What you think in your mind that you love the most right now might not actually be the case. You see, identifying what we love the most is actually more difficult than we think. This morning, uh, we're going to read the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And in many ways, this story is like, it's like a CAT scan or an MRI or something more than that, but I don't know science. So it's like a really uh, important and significant is a really accurate examination of our soul. And so as we answer that question initially, what is it that you love most? This story of Abraham and Isaac might have a chance to reveal what the actual answer to that question is in your heart and mine. And what we see when we read this story is that you and I are unwilling to sacrifice the things that we hold dearest to God. We're unwilling to sacrifice them to God. And, and what happened, what, what, the reason for this is our unwillingness grows out of the fact that we don't believe that God can or will provide for us. We're unwilling to hold things with an open hand before God. Because we, when it comes down to it, don't actually believe that God can or God will provide. So let's do this. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 22. And then we're going to take a moment. We're going to read Hebrews 1 through 3 together. And then I'm going to conclude um, by reading Hebrews uh, 11, 17 through 19 on my own. As we sort of hear the story of Abraham and Isaac and we hear the story of faith. So stand with me as you, as you would, please. Genesis says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there there, and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said to him, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God and seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And now we have our reading from Hebrews chapter 11. Read with me these first three verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And now hear what the author has to say about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac, your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. City Church, this is the word of God written a thousand years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So in many ways, this story is one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. It is not only a piece that is talked about often within Christianity, but this is also a cornerstone of of Judaism. This is something that even Islam accepts and and tells a bit of this story with some differences. This is a very well-known story. If you have grown up in the church, this is the sort of thing that was stuck on flannel boards or PowerPoints, depending on your age. This is in the greatest hits of stories to tell your kids, especially when they're disobedient. After all, God might call me to do the same thing, son. No. But at the same time, this is not just a story that is well-known and well-trodden within Christianity. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Dutch philosopher, uh, wrote an entire book about this story. How could God ask something like this of Abraham? How can Abraham have this kind of faith? On the surface, the story is very simple. We read it and it makes logical sense as a story. But as we begin to look a little bit deeper, things get a little bit wilder. I mean, think about it. The simple fact of the story is God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham's response is, okay. So Abraham takes his son, 
goes to where God tells him, begins to prepare him as a sacrifice, and at the midnight hour, God steps in and stops him. And everybody leaves and goes home and lives happily ever after. But what I want to to point out is just a few things about the very nature of this story. First of all, one of the objections to this story is how could God ask for this sort of sacrifice? Especially in light of the fact that again and again and again, uh, God is seen to be very different than the Canaanite gods, very different than the ancient Near Eastern gods, where those gods required the sacrifice of children in worship. God very specifically did not. But one of the things that happens is in this story, the writer is calling his shot. The writer is showing us, he's, he's peeling back the curtain so we see something in advance, that God is testing Abraham. That God never intends for Abraham to fully go through with this. He always knows that he is going to intervene. That God never, that, that Isaac was never in any real danger. I think the second thing to notice as we read through this story is how little is spoken. Both by Abraham, Isaac, the people who are with them, and how little we get a view into the mind of Abraham. I'm, remem- I'm reminded of the movie, uh, There Will Be Blood. It was a P.T. Anderson film based on a, a Sinclair Lewis novel. And it was all about oil fields in the Old West. And Daniel Day-Lewis does uh, Daniel Day-Lewis things and is incredibly into his character as an actor. And the first 30 minutes of this movie are nearly completely without a single word spoken. And the first time you watch the movie, it's, it's almost unnerving how quiet it is. How you hear just sort of the sound of the railroad track in the distance. How you just sort of hear the, the hum of the oil well as he is getting it going. As, you, as he falls into a well and you hear the creak of the pulley up above him. Sort of this soundscape is it's disconcerting that throws you off, that makes you uncomfortable. And there's a level of silence in this passage that as we read it, makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? God says, hey Abraham, go take Isaac to the mountain over there and sacrifice him. And we have no idea what was running through Abraham's mind. No idea if he said, yep, seems about right. Guess I'll go do that. No idea if he said, I've got questions. No idea what happened. There is this stark, clanging silence around this story. But what we do see, those little windows we do get into this story, these little, little hints, little words that are spoken, what we see is that something is happening in Abraham where, where he's expressing a great degree of faith. Because while we don't see him saying a whole lot, where we don't see him expressing a lot, what we do see is things like when he leaves his servants at the foot of the mountain. What does he say? He says, stay here. Both of us are coming back. When Isaac breaks the silence of this climb, 
When he breaks the silence of the climb and says, Hey dad, I've got the wood, you've got the knife, you've got the fire, and we've got the rope. Um, where's the lamb? What does Abraham say? God's going to provide the lamb. God's going to take care of that. God will provide that. What little we do see is Abraham acting in faith even without understanding what the plan is. Even without understanding what the future is going to be. Because this is his son who he loves. His only son who he deeply cares for. God is not just asking him to sacrifice his son. He's asking him to sacrifice his future. And somehow Abraham has the faith to do this. I want to point out uh, two things before we start asking the question that we're all asking. The question that we're all asking is, is what, what, do, what would God test me like that about? What, what do I not want to give up? We'll get there. Hold on. Okay. We're going there in a minute. But I just want to point out first that this isn't the end of Abraham's story. In fact, this story is the climax of the Abraham part of the book of Genesis. This is not something where Abraham is earning his place as God's chosen one. No, this is long after that. This is the result of a lifetime of faith. This is not something that Abraham is doing to merit God's favor, but rather is a response to a long life lived in communion with God. But not only that, what Abraham doesn't do is something that you and I are constantly tempted to do. What Abraham doesn't say is, wait a minute, God, I have already left my home. I have already left the town that I lived in where I had an established life and was wealthy. And not only that, you sent me to this land where I don't own any property and I live in tents while everybody else lives in houses. God, have I not sacrificed enough? Which is how you and I typically respond. Whenever something is difficult, it is in I can't speak for you. I'll just speak for myself here. It is, it is oftentimes where my heart goes, God, have I not done enough? Is this not enough for you? Is this not what you told me to do? Are you not entertained? Are you not pleased? Come on, I have to do more? You're asking me to do more? Yet that's not what Abraham does. God calls to him, says, go sacrifice Isaac. And he starts marching up a mountain. See what Abraham understood that's, that's different from the way that we understand our lives. What he understood is that nothing we have belongs to us. That's uncomfortable. If you, if you actually think about that, you don't want to believe that. Everything you have does not belong to you. Belongs to God. And it's just on lease. It's just loaned out to you. So what happens when he asks for those things back? What happens when God comes to you? Well, for most of us, what we say is, 
I would do anything for God. But I won't do that. And we sort of have a limit. And that's the question. That's the question that this text is pretty obviously asking us to ask ourselves. What is the point where God says something to you and you nope out? What is a bridge too far for your faith? And oftentimes what our mind fills with is sort of these, these big picture ideas. Well, if my, if my bank account was ever totally empty, th- 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 then I couldn't, I couldn't trust that God would take care of me. If, if, if my kids were ever wayward from me and, and disconnected from a relationship from me, or, or maybe something even worse, that would be the end of it. Or if, or if my job that is my identity was taken away, or if I was forced to, to live in a different sort of way of living than I'm used to, we sort of have these ideas that if, that if God ever did that, that's a bridge too far. God, you can have everything besides my family. God, you can have everything besides my finances. God, you can have, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. If we're honest, most of us probably have a breaking point. Some of us have already been across that breaking point. And it's often moments like this that drive us away from Jesus and drive us away from the church. I know that is the experience of many of you here at City Church. And so, so hearing this, sort of gives us pause. But I want to point something else out. Because this question of what would you not do, this question is getting at what you really love. But there's another way to get there. There's another way to answer what you really love as a question. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes, those things that bother us that are small, Those things that seem uh, tiny, but that really get under our skin are actually a trail along the same direction as this question of Abraham and Isaac. Let me give you a for instance. Let's say, hypothetically, that there was somebody who was watching a baseball team in the playoffs. Let's say, hypothetically, it was game five in the division series, and theoretically, it's happening around nine o'clock in the evening. And it just so happens that at nine o'clock in the evening, children want ice in their cups in the middle of a full count with two outs. Theoretically, someone could get very angry at his children for wanting ice in that moment. Do I love my children more than I love baseball? Yes. So why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? Because while I love my children more than I love baseball, at the end of the day, I don't love my children more than I love comfort. More than I love convenience. At the end of the day, I actually love myself more. And so my anger in that moment is not about ice in a cup. Fine. I'll get you ice in a cup. 
right? Just be quiet for one more pitch. Whatever the case, no, no, no. What, what happens when I got angry at, when someone got angry at their kids in that moment was I was showing that what I really loved was myself. Now, if you ask me, what do you love the most? I'm probably going to say something like my wife and children. But in that moment, what's exposed is what I truly love. Now, think about you. When are those times where minor inconveniences, where small things become much bigger deals in your heart? Is it when somebody else at work gets credit for what you did well? Is it when you get in trouble at school because of something somebody else did? Is it, is it when your kids just won't be obedient in public? Or is it something else? What is that minor inconvenience when your plans get altered at the last minute? You see, here's the thing. While it's great to ask ourselves the question, what would I balk at if God asked me to sacrifice it? On a much smaller, much deeper level, this question of what do I make a bigger deal out of gets to the same place. What both of those things show us is that ultimately we are prideful and unbelieving. I am prideful and unbelieving. You want to know why I got mad at my kids for wanting ice in their cups? Because I think I deserve better than that. I think I deserve nine innings of uninterrupted things. I think I deserve adult beverages to appear in my hand while I'm watching the game. That wings rain down from heaven and I never have to leave my seat. Now, okay, that might be a little bit much, but it's not far off of the actual truth. That's what I'm worshiping. What about you? Is it your comfort like me? Is it security? The affirmation of others? Power? Control over your life? At the end of the day, all of these things point to our pride. I deserve better. And they point to our unbelief. I don't believe that God is going to take care of me. We can't even be faithful during a baseball game. And then we read this story of Abraham and Isaac where God says, go take your son up that mountain. And it's easy for us to read this and go, well, that's not me. It's not the kind of faith I have. So let's pack it in. Let's go home. Let's call it a day. But if we do that, if we, if we read the story like that, we're missing something. You see, that's what we want to do. We want to walk away from this story. We want to say that this is a bar too high to clear. We want to explain it away. Maybe if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's easy to look at the story and roll your eyes and call it barbaric, that God would ask somebody to sacrifice their child. But there is something deeper and more beautiful going on in this story. Because this story isn't ultimately about Abraham and Isaac. This story is ultimately a story about Jesus.
This story is littered with ways and signs that are pointing us to the story of Jesus. The the mountain where he is told to take Isaac to sacrifice him is the very mountain that would become the temple mount in Jerusalem. Mount Moriah was where the people of Israel would worship for years and years and is just a stone's throw away from where Jesus was crucified. How do Abraham and Isaac get to the area of Jerusalem? Why they ride a donkey, just like Jesus did on his last entrance into the city. As Isaac climbs the mountain, what is put on Isaac's back? The wood that is going to be the sacrifice that he is burned over. And what does Jesus do as he leaves the city of Jerusalem, but carries his own wooden cross? As we read this story, we see that the animal that was ultimately sacrificed was a ram. And for most of us, we just go, neat. But it's interesting that there was one specific day a year where a ram was sacrificed. We just uh, celebrated it this past Wednesday. The, The ram was sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. Jesus is not only the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, but he is the ram that is sacrificed in our place. He is our atonement. And ultimately, this isn't just about Abraham being willing to give up his son. This is about God the Father willingly sending his son to be sacrificed in place of you and me. You see, we are Isaac. The ram is Jesus, sacrificed so that we don't have to die for our sins. Abraham believed that God was somehow able to raise his son from the dead, and Jesus himself was raised. He called the place, he called God in that time, Yahweh Yaira, the God who provides, not just the God that provides atonement for us, but the God that provides the very faith that we have. The very faith that begins to work out of us our sins like pride, our sins like unbelief, our faithlessness that God will provide for us. Not by our works, not because we do the right sacrifices, but because of what Jesus has done for us. This story isn't about if you try real hard, you can have a faith like Abraham's. No, what this story is all about is how deep the father's love was for Abraham and Isaac and how we serve and love the same God. That the God who provided atonement and that the God who restored what was being taken away, who secured Abraham's future, future is the same God that you and I love and serve. And so, yes, church, we repent. We repent of our faithlessness. We repent of our pride and our unbelief. But we also relish the deep and unmatched self-sacrificial love of God that is shown to us in Jesus. And so the degree to which we find ourselves in this story and we find this story beautiful is the degree to which we are able to love others. So many times we want to go to church so that we're a better neighbor, so we're a better husband, a better mom. We want to go to church to 
fix these things about us. And we just want seven helpful tips. We want to put them up on a screen and write them down and go, ah, yes, now I'm a better person. But in reality, the way that we are changed is not by waking up in the morning, tying our shoes a little tighter and following the tips. The way that we are changed is by meditation on the very gospel of Jesus Christ of how deep and unmatched and unmerited his love for us is. And then what happens is we begin to be able to show that unrequited love to others. So when our spouses don't love us the way we want to, want them to, we can show the kind of love that God shows us. When others are faithless around us, we can be uh, faithful not because we are great, but because of the faithfulness that Jesus has shown to us. You see, if we at all want to see the places where we live, work, and play, if we at all want to see St. Pete be a different place than it is now, be more like heaven on earth, the place that that starts is not primarily in how hard we work and do things. Where that starts primarily is in your heart and mind being soaked and changed by the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, the Son who the Father sacrificed on our behalf. Let's pray.